0: Student loan planning for me it makes me so happy and you know no one else wants to talk about student loans that's okay but you know um I'll talk about it all day with you so you know don't let your student loan situation make you feel like you can't go out and do what you want to
1: do
2: Welcome to the uncensored show with your host George Paul, where we share the mindset tips Tools, strategies, and stories on how to use your money to do more of what you love and what you were called to do. Money is like gas on a road trip. Sure, you need it to get where you're going, but you're not going on a tour of gas stations. Money fuels your journey. The question is what's yours? Live life uncensored. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Podcast. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about all things student loans. And we have a wonderful guest who's going to break it all down for you. So if you have questions about student loans, and you're wondering how you should approach them, then this is the episode for you. So with no further ado, Megan, how are you?
0: Hello, I'm good. I'm looking forward to nerding out with y'all. That's what
2: awesome. I'm awesome.
1: excited about this.
2: <laughs> awesome. Of course, we got Jacqueline on as well. How are you?
1: Hey, hey, hey. I'm doing well.
2: Good, Hi. good. Awesome. Well, let's get right into it. So, so, so Megan, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and your background and how you became one of the the, the student loan gurus, if you will.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I um well I went to college with Jacqueline. We were in uh, undergrad together at Cole's College of Business up in Kennesaw, um, and I always had an interest in finance. I went into the personal finance route through an internship. And then I, you know, I I consistently kept running into cases where they 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 didn't really have like the foundational layer of planning done. And I was working at a a financial planning firm under two CFPs where, you know, that just wasn't what we were doing. We weren't helping people with budgeting or with uh, you know debt, kind of, but not like Mm -hmm. involved. And um, I also kept running into people who had jumbo-sized student loan balances, and I kept thinking, my goodness, you know how are they going to, how are they going to tackle this to like get to the other side and start to be able to work with somebody on like investing? And and so um, I had left that firm, started my own practice, Financial Coach Megan, to specifically work with folks who needed the areas of foundational financial planning, like needed help in those specific areas. And then, you know, student loans naturally came with that. So I was working with folks who, you know, that was the biggest elephant in the room is their, their student loan debt. And so um, my first client, my first coaching client was a chiropractor who had 300,000 of student loan debt. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, you know, and I was excited. So that's my first coaching client, but I was like, oh my gosh, how are we going to get past this? And so that's when I started nerding out on uh, the federal student loan system and, and how to tackle it, and um, really learned that, like, my goodness, the federal system is complicated, and there's lots of things we can leverage, though. So I got really excited about how we could maybe take advantage of the system and and help people navigate that uh, maybe in a non-traditional way, um, mm-hmm. which you know. The, federal student loans are not a regular debt. That's for sure. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. but, and then here I am, I'm still
1: doing it, still nerding out about it.
2: (laughs) Awesome. Awesome.
1: So last spring, of course, uh, you know, leaders announced that our student loans were going to be deferred, right? Federal student loans were going to be deferred. Nothing was going to be due until the fall. So when you first heard that as a student loan nerd, what was running through your mind?
0: Well, the first announcement with like COVID rolling in was that he was just you know Trump was just going to freeze interest and I was like, "Uh, eh, that's cool, but that's not going to bring relief to people losing their jobs right now." Um and then shortly after that, they they announced the the extension and the 0% interest. And so I thought it was a great thing that they implemented because that does bring relief. And the the biggest component to that was that the the months that were frozen would still count towards uh, any forgiveness timeline. And so I was excited about that because I work with a lot of people pursuing either public service loan forgiveness or the longer term taxable forgiveness. And um, so I I think it was a good move. And then since then, we've seen lots of extensions and we're about to see another one, I think. Um, and, you know, I, I think that was probably the best thing to do. The sad part, though, is that no, no relief was really standardized for private student loan holders. They were kind of left to their own devices and the companies could have decided to implement like a forbearance, but interest was still going to accrue and it, was, it wasn't going to be as nice as the Fed system.
1: Yeah. So when you're working with somebody, I'm sure you can't ignore their private loans as well. So how do you help people tackle that?
0: Yeah. And and they are kind of two different, like they're two different beasts, really, because the federal system, we have a lot of flexibility with income driven plans and forgiveness opportunity. Private loans, they are not very sexy. We just have to pay them off. (laughs) And so if um, I'm working with someone who has quite a bit of both, usually we're leveraging the flexibility of the, the, um, the federal side to help us tackle the private first. Um, and you know, refinancing is a great way to reduce the cost of private student loans. So we can, you know, leverage that and and make sure that together the two different payments that they're gonna have is is gonna fit within the cash flow and also not prohibit them from saving and putting money towards other things.
2: Got it. Got it. And so um kind of an abstract question, right? Uh, but curious on your perspective about it. So you, know, you help people who have a lot of student loan debt, maybe some moderate, maybe some people with a mountain of debt. So what is your thoughts on people who actually, like, should I still be investing during the time in which I'm paying off debt? What is your thoughts on that?
0: A hundred percent you should be, I think. Because, and it's because people... You know, are graduating with very large student loan balances these days if they have, um, especially graduate degree holders, you know, very educated people will graduate with probably a lot of student loans if they did not have family help. And, you know, traditional debt advice tells us to pay debt off sooner rather than later, you know, like our hair's on fire. But it, traditional debt advice also didn't know that the student loan situation would be what it is today where even if someone put all of their extra money towards their loans, it would still take them 10, 15, 20 years to pay them all off. And so I just feel like that's precious time that we cannot like, you know, we can't give up because we're shooting ourselves in the foot a couple of times if we don't save while we're paying down debt, because it's going to take us time no matter what. And we Mm -hmm. don't want to be out of the ballgame, you know, for that time period. And not have our future self set up for success. Um, And student loans are not an asset-backed debt. So we can't sell it once we've paid it off (laughs) or there's no equity within it. So Um, I I think there's always a healthy balance that we can find really with any any situation.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, right? So it's like even if someone's not a big fan of someone aggressively paying off their house or something, at least if they did that, they still would have that tangible asset, right? Versus if you aggressively pay off your student loans, you just have a a piece of paper that says, congratulations, you paid off your student loans. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You've got your brain and you've got that piece of paper at the (laughs) that you got at
1: graduation.
2: Yeah, and hopefully (laughs) you got it agree something that you are actually using, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So I know you got my book, Money Planning and Positivity. And so in that, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to read it yet, but in there, I talk about some of the like mental health um, issues that people tackle in life and a little bit about how I deal with that as a financial advisor. So specializing on student loans How do you help people tackle that mental hurdle of like, okay, actually having this debt isn't terrible because, as you just said, like once you pay it off really fast, there's nothing at the end of the tunnel except for you just don't see that debt anymore. There's no asset or anything. So like mentally, how do you help people work through that?
0: Yeah, and I will admit I have not started I I started to read your forward, but I have not finished your book. I was already reading one earlier this month, so I've got to finish that one first. I'm not one of those people that can like switch between books. I'm not I don't know. I, I just can't focus yeah, I'm just that saying, way. I Like I got to just
2: <laughs> I got to get it knocked out once I once I started.
0: Yeah, yeah, but um yeah, I mean, student loans and debt in general really has a psychological effect on people. Um and it is really hard like if someone, you know, if I have a client where it's a clear decision or it's it's clearly the right way to go to treat it uh, or to to go the longer term route to forgiveness. Um, and that means, you know, if someone's balance is greater than their annual income, typically we should be going this forgiveness route because mathematically it's, it's going to make more sense. And then, you know, for other reasons, for savings reasons, it makes sense. But That's sometimes hard for people to stomach because they're thinking, oh gosh, you know, I'm going to be in debt for 20 or 25 years. And, you know, I start to try to reframe their brain around this being a debt because if we're going that forgiveness route, it's not really a debt anymore. It's really more like a tax. And what I mean by that is, you know, our goal, if we're going towards forgiveness, is We want to pay as little as possible to maximize how much we can get forgiven. And that also helps us leverage our money better by having more cash flow to put towards savings and towards other life goals and financial goals. And so I encourage them to think about it like a tax versus a debt. And I think that helps a little bit. Um, Even if someone, you know, even if that's not the route for somebody and we need to aggressively or, or pay it down sooner rather than later. Um, You know, I just talk about the value of having money set aside for your future and having other things working for you at the same time. And we talk about it being, you know, the student loan debt is just a bill know, think about it as a bill. We're going to have an efficient plan. You know, we're definitely going to make sure we have an efficient plan. But we also talk through like the the value of, you know, what is that extra $200 a month going to do to you if it's invested between now and the next 10 years? And we show them, you know, the, the how much that's going to grow to and then how much they would have saved if they put it towards the loans. And, you know, usually if we're putting that towards an investment vehicle, we're, you know, we're doing better, <laughs> especially if we can get that interest rate really low. Because, you know, and i have to talk about the the interest rate game where if we can get our our debt below like 5%, then, you know, we're probably going to do better with that $200 or whatever it is, you know, putting that in the market for ourselves and having that work for us. And, you know, so I I talk through those concepts and I think that starts to help. And um, I think the traditional way to think about debt uh, is just kind of old. (laughs) You know, I think debt used to be really expensive. Um, you know, mortgages and car loans used to be in like double digit interest rates, you know, 30, 20, 30 years ago, maybe 30, 40 years ago at yeah, this point. for but.
1: everybody, not just those with bad credit. <laughs>
2: Right.
0: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And so I think the older advice about, you know, and I hate this too, because I feel like people feel bad about their student loans because they go to Thanksgiving dinner and their uncle is telling them, wow, how did you get that much in debt? You're so irresponsible. Why are you not paying that off? Like, you know, having three jobs to pay that off. And it's like, well, things have definitely changed since you've been in school. (laughs) and you know debt is just not as expensive anymore and it it helps us leverage our money better i think uh, compared to if, if we were looking at you know super high interest rates, um, so that's kind of a I kind of rambled on a little bit there, but hopefully that was helpful.
1: <laughs> no, that was helpful talking about the mindset shift. But that reminded me of just like a quick digression. So when I graduated school, I was like, okay, yeah, I want to get a house or whatever. So I remember talking to this financial planner that I was working with, and she was like, yeah, just go get a mortgage, and I was like. Yeah, it doesn't work like that anymore. It doesn't work like how it was the first time you bought your house 30 years ago. They're not just handing out mortgages that easily. So I was like, you have to have some sort of backing for them to want to give you something. So yeah, it's not the same kind of system. So don't don't feel bad when you know your uncle who bought his house 30 years ago and went to school for $10,000 <laughs> tells you that you are not doing things the way you're supposed to be because the world right. has changed. And so when it comes to consolidating loans for clients, what kind of an interest rate are you seeing? Are you seeing people right now getting below five? You mentioned that.
0: Yeah. And so I also think, um, I think there's the the word consolidation and refinance get used interchangeably. Um, I, I use the term consolidation when I'm talking about combining the loans within the federal system simply because that's what the federal system calls it. But refinancing would be the term to use, like when someone's taking their, their either their federal loans or their existing private loans to a, a private company in hopes to get a lower interest rate and better terms. Um, and so, refinancing right now, we're seeing really great rates. Um, weirdly, because before COVID, we were seeing really low interest rates too. COVID hit, and then interest rates spiked. They went up—you know, one, two percent. It was really, really unfortunate. And then since then, they've started to teeter back down. And now we're in an environment where interest rates are lower than what they were pre-COVID. And so refinancing right now is really attractive for people where that makes sense. Like if if they already have private loans, or if we're not needing the flexibility of the Fed system, or we're not going towards forgiveness. Now is a really great time to be refinancing. And um, you know, average what I'm seeing right now is anywhere between three and five percent. And it's it's going to be dependent on credit. It's going to be dependent on uh, your occupation. You know, that goes into their underwriting uh, process. So occupation, income, credit, they look at all of that. And then, um, but, you know, I had someone the other day get approved for like 3.4. And
1: I was like, whoa, that's really nice. (laughs) I like that number. (laughs) How long long does that, like consolidation versus refinance, how long does that process take? Because typically if you refinance a house, it takes 30, 45 days. What does it look like when you refinance or consolidate loans? with
0: yeah so with refinancing um so taking the debt to a private company it you you know your rate really quickly like they'll tell you either right on the spot when you apply or you'll know within like a week or so um the process for money to exchange hands that's usually within 30 days um you probably won't have a payment though for maybe 60 days from when you started the process um so it's it's relatively quick and refinancing is really easy with with student loans there's you know, there's no fees associated with it. Usually there's a lot of companies that are giving like cash back now, like if you decide to go with their company. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they're literally paying you to refinance with them. Um, And so so that's pretty easy. Consolidation or combining the loans in the Fed system, that doesn't change your interest rate. Well, it kind of does. It takes your weighted average of your existing rates. So it doesn't really make it worse or better, but that process takes between 30 to 90 days, usually probably closer to the 90 day timeframe. So
2: yeah, that's a good point. Like I think sometimes people forget That like your debt is an asset to someone else, right? Like obviously most people are thinking about assets from the vantage point of like the stock market or real estate or things of that nature. But like if someone you know owns your debt, right? You're paying them three, four, five, six, seven percent. That's an asset for them. I think our last episode we had someone talking about like quote unquote becoming your own bank, right? And so like if you look at what the banks do, they lend, right? And so it's just important to remember that like in in this whole grand scheme of things, like your debt is an asset to somebody else, and so. Of course, through working with people like you, um, you know you can have a strategy to strategically get out of it. But just never forgetting that. I think sometimes, like you know, whether it's credit card debt or student loan debt, like you know, people are excited about the leverage, um, but sometimes not re- connect, connecting the dots that like that is an asset for someone else. And, I, and what and what made that come to mind is when you said um, that they gave somebody like cash back or whatever, right? Like she's like, sure, I'll give them, I'm about to get them for fifteen. I'm about to get them paying me for fifteen years. <laughs> I'll give them a little cash back. Um, you know, on the front end. So, you know, but I, I get it though. Like at the end of the day, if you're in the situation, if you have debt, um the, the key at this point is just to be as strategic as possible. But it just reminded me that like, it is an asset for someone else.
1: So it's funny that that's where your mind went because my mind went to like, okay, there must be a lot more competition in the industry for them to yeah. offer cash back now. Cause it didn't used to be like that five, yeah. seven, ten years ago. It was like, You have a couple options to refinance. Now it seems like there's a whole slew. So is that what you're seeing right now? Like more options to refinance? More people getting. Yes.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's lots of companies you can choose from your bank or your credit union probably has some kind of option too.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And so it, it is getting harder and harder for them to differentiate themselves from one another. Um, You know, refinancing is a commodity. Like you just want to get the lowest interest rate possible. And if the next company is going to give you that, there's no reason to choose one over the other. And because there's no fees again, you know, there's no fees associated with refinancing. There's no like prepayment penalties to pay extra with these companies. And so the only other thing that really differentiates them is maybe customer service. But, you know, at the end of the day, how, how super important is that if you can get like, you know, a a smaller interest rate somewhere? I don't know. It's, it's been really interesting. So yeah, that's exactly what it is, is You know, these cash back opportunities are to sway somebody one way or another um, because they don't really have any other way to do that anymore.
2: Yes, it's it's boring. It's not sexy, right? It's like, hey, you can come over here and get your debt for a little less. So it's not as exciting exciting (laughs) as a conversation. So that makes sense.
1: Well, it doesn't sound like I was going to ask you if you had like a top three favorite companies to like refinance at, but it doesn't sound like you do.
0: Not really. I mean, they're, they're, I, I will say from client feedback, I get really great feedback on Common Bond, Earnest, and um, I think everybody knows SoFi because of their commercials. They're, they're probably pretty good too. Uh, but those are the best from a customer service perspective. Again, I tell people when they're going to refinance, shop two to four different companies. Because we just want the company that's going to give us the best rate. And then sometimes I, you know, some clients are interested in doing this and and maybe some of the listeners might be too, but I tell folks, you know, pin them up against each other. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what, what I mean by that is, you know, if you get a, a an offer from one company and then an offer from a different company and they're they're a little bit different, you can take that better offer to the, the one that gave you the worst rate and say, hey, this company is going to give me X. You know, what can you give me? And send them like the letter. And then you can kind of work your way down to their floor. And I've seen it happen. I've seen it be successful. And that's just a way that you can continue to reduce how much you're going to pay in interest over time. So, if you're interested in that, you want to do the effort, you know, I've seen it be successful.
2: <laughs> that, one, one more quick question while I'm thinking about it. Um, is there any situation outside of just like getting a more favorable interest rate where consolidation or refinancing is not a good move, right? Because on the, on the outside, it just seems like if you can get a lower rate, why not refinance or consolidate? But is there any situation where it's like not advisable?
0: Yeah. So, and and I talk about this quite a bit because I, I work primarily with people who have over six figures of student loan debt and refinancing is a permanent decision. So if we take our loans out of the Fed system to a, a private company, we cannot go back to the Fed system if we needed that flexibility. Um, And so I I encourage people to think long and hard, like, hey, are you completely comfortable with not having access to income-driven plans, with not having access to forgiveness opportunity, and also not having access to potentially whatever this next administration might do for, for federal loans, because if we take our loans private that is a permanent decision we cannot change our mind about <laughs> and you know we are now at the whim of that company and we we have committed ourselves to paying it off so i talk about that and covid was a perfect example of just how flexible federal loans can be because they did get the 0% interest and the payment freeze while private borrowers didn't have anything and so I talk about that. And, you know, if someone feels very comfortable with their income, with the the payment that we're looking at for refinancing and they just they're OK with kind of walking away from that, then yeah, refinancing is the way to go. But if they need that flexibility, even if it's just for like another year or two, you know, I always encourage people to stay in the Fed system a little bit longer, just in case. Um, but if also if someone's going towards forgiveness, like public service loan forgiveness or the longer term taxable forgiveness, we do not need to be refinancing because we will take that off the table. <laughs> so, those uh, are those are the biggest times, I would say.
2: Awesome, that's that's great feedback.
1: Yeah, we appreciate that. So let's shift more to. The incoming, which I think when we drop this, they will be the current administration technically, but let's shift to them a little bit more. So as far as that goes, what, let's hear like your initial thought of when we're like, okay, Biden is elected. Like what, what was that back in November? So what was your thought like, okay, Biden is coming in. What does that do for student loans?
0: So I definitely my my thoughts were that things were going to get more favorable for federal bar, or federal student loan borrowers. Um, I have been very conservative in my thoughts about um, forgiveness. I think there's been a lot of talk about like fifty thousand of forgiveness or ten thousand or all loans forgiven. And in my mind, like yes, that would be nice, um, but I don't think our country can afford it, <laughs> and I don't know. How success definitely like widespread forgiveness. Like I never really thought that that would come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Um, The fifty thousand or ten thousand was interesting. Um, I think the ten thousand is something that we could still maybe be entertaining here coming up. But I'm I'm not banking on it, and I'm telling people to guard their heart because I'm not convinced that it would happen. Um, if it did, it would probably only happen for folks who were already in extreme need. So people who were completely um, or, or directly impacted by COVID or people who are in default. Like, I think those are the folks that might be helped more. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's still to be determined. I, but in general, I felt like things would still get more favorable for borrowers.
1: Well, OK, so that's good to know what you were thinking initially. So right now you're still thinking that like ten to fifty thousand dollars could be on the table i will give you my like taking off my planner hat kind of putting on like my personal hat how i feel about the ten to fifty thousand so i feel like fifty thousand is too much i agree with you on the fact of like i don't know that our country can necessarily afford to forgive that much in student loans i'm a little bit warmer on the ten thousand partially because being a student during this, like, it's more of a student loan crisis right now, right? Because a good example is your uncle says that you're irresponsible for taking out so much in student loans. We've been in a different kind of student loan environment. And, you know, when we were in school, it was like, here, take this money, take this money, you know, take this money. There was a lot of scamming I feel like going on with these loan companies wherein like I know I received like my Pell right which is where my student loans would have gone had I taken student loans so I had like a little Pell debit card and I used that a couple times and me being just you know the financial guru at 19 that I was I was checking the account and I was like okay why does it charge me 50 cents every time I swipe my card but that's really expensive for me to swipe this debit card So to me, okay, so then actually, subsequently, I was given like a $200 check later in the year. And with that check, there was a letter that said, hey, basically, our company has been scamming you like we're giving you back all the money for all of those swipes. So I was like, OK, that was when I was first alerted to, all right, these companies aren't really doing like what's in the client's best interest. They're not doing what's in the student's best interest. So I felt like students were being taken advantage of. So with that, that's why I'm a little bit warmer on 10,000 of student loan forgiveness and, you know, being a little bit more lenient there. But to your point of like, can our country really afford it? I I really don't. I don't know about that. What are your thoughts for yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I understand, you know, monetary policy and I understand how how all that stuff works on a macro level, but you know, when you when you see the country being able to and again at the expense of what, you know, the ramifications are still yet to yet to be determined, but print billions of dollars at will, right? You just start to wonder like, you know, does like how much does all this even really matter, right? You know, in the grand scheme of things. Like, you know, I feel like the country can get could get creative and figure out a way to make this something that's sustainable. And at the end of the day, it's it's about the health of the economy, right? So even if there were some type of clause in there where it's like, okay, this is forgiven, you know, for the people who are already making payments, like this money has to cycle back. Like, I don't know the, again, the nuance of what that would look like, but I feel like there's a way. And so for me, um, I feel like, you know, the smart people, people who are much smarter than me can put their heads together and figure out like, okay, if we were to do this, how could we not break as a country? Right. Cause we've proven that if we need to, um, with the push of a button, sometimes it takes a little longer to push that button because of politics, but with the push of a button, we can get money out to people, right? We can, we can make things go away. And when I just look at the country as a whole and, you know, homelessness and so many other issues, I'm like, I feel like our this would be a step in the right direction for our country figuring out how to put people on more stable foundation. Um, the challenge is um, there's still no control with what people do with that cash flow, right? And so it's like, you know, without the knowledge of people like Jacqueline or you, Megan or or me, um, like are they going to do the right thing? It goes back to that that age old adage about like the lottery, right? Like if you don't have financial literacy and you get a windfall of X amount of dollars. What are you going to do with this? So I I understand. I see both sides of it. I'm leaning more towards finding a way to forgive and, and trusting in the spirit of the people, right? To a degree. But I I do understand that there's no guarantees there. So yeah.
0: I also think too, like there's a lot of talk about the symptoms here. And the symptoms is the crazy amount of student loan debt that people graduate with. And I don't think there's a lot of talk about the source of that problem. And I honestly feel like there is a bigger problem on the front side of this equation. And that's the availability of uh, or the ability for these institutions, these colleges to basically charge whatever they want to charge. The cost of attendance, there is no incentive for colleges to keep the cost of attendance down. Because we as a nation now have accepted the fact that you know, well, and it may not even be a fact these days, but have accepted the the thought that to go and you know make income and and be a good person in this you know nation, you have to have a degree, and you have to have a good job, and to have a good job, you have to have a degree, and so the need is there. The need is definitely there, um, and they there there is no cap on what these institutions can charge either. Like there's. There's caps on how much you can borrow for undergrad, but graduate schools like, uh, and this this might shock y'all, but uh, a dental school in New York recently posted their cost of attendance for four years of an education <laughs> in, in dentistry there. That price tag is over $700,000. For a, a, the cost of attendance and in a graduate degree program, you can borrow up to the cost of attendance. So we're going to see huge balances continuing to like the the problem is not going to be stopped by just forgiving debt. I think the problem needs to be addressed. You know, that's, a, that's solving maybe a symptom. That's like giving somebody Advil. Yeah, I think the problem needs to start with, you know, the the cause of that pain and more conversations need to be had about that side of it um, because it is getting very, very interesting, very outrageous. My worst case, if y'all could guess, um, the, the highest debt load I have advised on, could y'all take a guess at how much that, that a, was for one ball, person?
2: I'm going to go full blown seven figure. Why not? One million dollars. One million why, why dollars.
1: Why did we both make the same number? I was like, I'm going to go with a million. If you said 700,000, it's got to be like, yeah. I'm going go 1.2.
0: <laughs> yep. So my worst case or the, the highest debt load case was a million twenty nine. For one person. He's a orthodontist. So if you want to be a highly specialized physician or dentist or anything, you're going to have lots of schooling and that price tag is going to be high.
2: (laughs) Here's my big, big concern or or macro theory on all of this. Right. Especially for the younger generation. I think that a couple of things are are bound to happen if we don't see some corrections here and maybe just supply and demand will correct it. So here's what I see, right? The younger generation, um, the world is way different, right? And maybe we're par- partially in the younger generation, but like they can make money doing anything, right? They can make money playing the streaming video games influencers on Instagram, making TikTok videos. And I think what's going to happen if the cost of education for like these more specialized skills, like, you know, wanting to be attorney or a doctor, you're going to see more and more people no longer dreaming or aspiring to do those things, which is a problem, right? Because we need, like, I'm glad that there's plenty of ways to make money easily in this country. I mean, there's kids that are making 50 grand a month drop shipping products because they understand digital advertising, right? Like, but you got to understand the psyche of that kid it's like right okay there used to be a time like where like this prestigious education was a badge of honor, or I had aspired to be a doctor or an astronaut. But if I got to go out and get multi six figure debt to do that, and I can just get in front of a camera or build a platform and make money even before I get to college, what incentive is there for me to go into all that debt? And so what you're going to see is less and less people pursuing that level of higher education, which then is going to cause a whole nother crisis in society, right? When these other doctors are ready to retire And what does that look like, right? Unless robots come in and can perform surgery and all sorts of stuff. So I think that's a really big issue. I think that might force uh, colleges to reevaluate because if they start to see the demand, I mean, supply and demand one-on-one, it's like, well, the demand go down. They're going to start giving it away, right? Giving away. It's like, hey, come come sign up just so we can keep our doors open. And um, I see that being potential potential really big problem. I also see as a relate or as it relates to COVID, kind of a decentralization of how we even view higher education, right? Like I, I don't think that it's going to be as big of a thing to like if I'm if I live in New York to where like I'm I want to go to a school in California, like that I have to do that. Right. I think it's going to be more like satellite locations and then you have to evaluate like does it make sense to pay what I'm paying if I'm not going to this campus? And so I do think a lot of a lot of that type of stuff is bound to happen on the horizon. And if the educational system doesn't get ahead of that, then it could it be bad for everybody. Right. It could be good for students in the short term, but bad for our society when there's more and more people who are not going out these professional degrees that are needed. Right. So, you know, we'll see. It'll be interesting to watch.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I think some of it goes back to what you're saying, Megan, about just our thoughts on accumulating debt and our thoughts on going to school. We have entire investment accounts that are set up for you to save money for college. But I think some of that issue is, you know, they don't have any rules as far as what tuition costs. So because I was just kind of a little nerd when I was finishing up college, I watched the cost of tuition after we graduated. because We actually we walked together. I was a little bit after you, but we walked together. So after that, I looked, so we graduated in May. I was looking for what the cost of tuition was going to be in the fall and tuition jumped up 8%. I was like, whoa, like an 8% jump. I was like, I'm glad that I'm done. But to me, that's crazy because if anything else that you had, you know, money that you were planning to put into jumped up 8%, like your thoughts on obtaining that are gonna be different you're going to think, okay, is there another route that I can go? You know, how can I redirect this to avoid this 8% increase? But because it's our thoughts on school and we're just going to go because we have to go, it doesn't matter if I need to take out more student loans or if I need to, you know, potentially stop looking at federal and start looking at private. It doesn't matter because I'm just going to keep going to this particular school. So I think you're right that our thoughts on debt need to change. I think that, you know, you know, I don't know that we could necessarily place sort of like caps on colleges, like we have on gas, like there are federal caps on gas, that way gas for your car doesn't, you know, end up costing you $40 a gallon. So I don't know that that would ever happen with schools. But I think you're right, George, it'll just be a supply and demand. And eventually, the cost of school just, you can't keep rising <laughs> it at the same rate. Um, what is the rate of inflation for the cost of tuition right now? I think it was, well, go ahead.
0: Yeah. So as I was gonna say it, it was um it it varies between schools, but it could be anywhere on average between five to eight percent. I think your eight percent was right on point. Um, but with COVID, uh, and this is funny, the terms they use, they had an inflation or a um cost of attendance freeze. Um, or a, I'm trying to think of the the couple terms they use, but it was like, oh, a tuition freeze is what they used over COVID, like for people who are coming back to school um you know in the the spring or who were who were in school in the spring and coming back to school in the fall they had a tuition freeze and i think a lot of people thought that meant different things but all it meant was that they weren't going to implement that 5 to 8% of inflation and so you know that was you know covid was the only reason they were going to not increase the cost of attendance they were going to drop it that was the other thing that people were really upset about they weren't going to drop the cost of attendance And since everyone was at home, they weren't going to stop. You know, the other thing that really made people mad was they weren't going to not charge out of state tuition. (laughs) And so if you're doing like an online degree, basically, because you can't go back to school uh, due to COVID reasons and you're in like Georgia, but your school is in New York, you're still being charged out of state tuition. And so (laughs) people were really upset about it. But it makes sense financially speaking for the schools to still charge of course what they they you know had been charging because they have debt obligations that they still have to pay doesn't matter if you can't come they built you know that building or that gym or that facility that they still have to pay back and so from the financial institutions financial planning, you know, they have to charge what they were charging, um, to stay afloat because they already took on these debt obligations. And, you know, I get so salty about like, <laughs> cause Jacqueline and, at Kennesaw, they built that really nice gym and we never got to use it while we were there. Cause it was under construction for three years, but we paid for it. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> no,
1: yeah. for sure. Yeah. So um, like the inflation with schools is just, it's, It's out of this world, because if we had five to eight percent inflation on like anything else, like you're going to think twice about that. Yeah. And as far as like them not dropping the cost of tuition, it reminds me of working with entrepreneurs and helping them set their pricing for things and figuring out what their value is, because it's like the schools are like, well, you know, our value is still X, so we can't drop our price. So it's just funny remembering that like your debt is somebody else's asset. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, indeed. Well, um, Jacqueline, did you have any other other questions uh, that you wanted to ask today?
1: No, no other questions. Did you have anything else you want to share last minute with anybody, Megan?
0: Um, I would say, you know, I know we talked a lot about kind of the doom and gloom about student loans, um, mm-hmm. but maybe to put a positive into it, you know, there is going to be a plan that's going to work for you. So if, you know, if that's refinancing, if that's going towards forgiveness um, really, it just starts with taking a look at your student loan situation, you know, head on. I think some people are scared to do that, but Mm -hmm. you will feel much better when you have a plan. I promise you. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, just implementing and executing that plan. And that, that will help you look forward and uh, look on to other goals of yours um, once, once the student loan piece is achieved. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, your financial situation is is down to you, not what Biden's going to do in office, not, you know, if there's going to be $10,000 of forgiveness, not, you know, if loans are forgiven, you know, so let's get a plan together that's going to stand the tests of time and things can only get better from here is what I'm thinking as far as repayment goes, so. Um, yeah. i'll end it on that positive note
2: <laughs> okay cool well if if someone's like man she provides some really great insight and you know i need some help with this stuff uh where, where can people find you to learn more about what you have going on
0: yeah so um i have a website and my instagram handle is financial coach megan and i spell my name a little weird m-e-a-g-a-n My mom says the Southern way, Um, so you can find me there. I always am happy to do an introduction call to make sure that, you know, I can add value to, to helping your situation. Um, and if not, I'll be able to point you in the right direction, uh, whether that be Jacqueline or, you know, another advisor that, that could help you with your specific needs.
2: <laughs> got it. Got it. And as we as we close, uh, one question we ask all of our guests is what does living life uncensored mean to you?
0: Oh, man, I think it just means to me, I think it means, well, I should, I should have thought about this longer, huh?
2: <laughs> it's it's <uncensored> you.
0: <laughs> I think really living uncensored is just doing what, you know, and this sounds so cheesy saying it out loud, but like doing just what truly makes you happy. And I think, you know, student loan planning for me, makes me so happy and, you know, no one else wants to talk about student loans. That's okay. But, you mm-hmm. know, um, I'll talk about it all day with you. So, you know, don't let your student loan situation make you feel like you can't go out and do what you want to do. Uh, Cause I see that too. I see folks like, you know, um, really regret, deeply regret what they went to school for because of their loans. And I'm telling you, don't feel that way. There's going to be a plan. Maybe that's a weird way for me to loop it back to to having a plan on student loans, but that's, uh, maybe what I would say there. <laughs>
2: Awesome. Well, Megan, we, we greatly appreciate you coming on the show. Um, thank you for providing a lot of insight that our listeners will find immensely valuable. So thank you so much for coming on.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to an episode of the uncensored show. Take at least one thing you heard today and apply it to your life immediately so that you can become one step closer to living a more meaningful and fulfilling life and aligning your resources to what matters most to you. Remember, money is just a resource to fuel your journey. The question is, what's yours?